This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart and today is show 182. We are fast approaching 200 shows. We'll be there in just a few months time. I want to thank everybody listening for, from around the world. Hopefully this Lotox Mind mini series we're running, which finishes today with the fifth show in the mini series with Tom Cronin, who's my guest today. Um, I hope it's been uh, well uh, appreciated and uh, timed for you. I think whether the challenge you're experiencing in this global pandemic is one of your life being in intense stress because you're part of the essential services crew out there somewhere or whether it has been one of slowing down and retreating and being a hero from your own home. Uh, Everyone is united in the fact that this has disrupted our lives in a profound way. And while there might be many theories and viewpoints on whether it's the right thing to do uh, to go this far into a lockdown uh, for the greater society or whether it's not, I'm not getting involved in those arguments. I'm actually enjoying the fact that there is a unification invitation here and I'm focused on how this brings people together and how it allows us to think about how we want to rebuild in the after. You know, I think it's just been incredible to see so many friends in business, myself included, having to make changes, having to pivot, having to ensure that we are find every way possible to hold on to staff, uh, that families learn to homeschool. I mean, the challenges are endless, but so are the opportunities. And I would be very interested to hear what silver linings you might have found in your neck of the woods. My silver lining is way more hugs than usual with Mr. Ten. Um, who's often so busy fulfilling his passionate life of school and extracurricular activities that he dearly loves. Now we're all at home a heck of a lot more together and uh, I'm loving the hugs on tap. Uh, And um, I feel like my husband and I are chatting about more meaningful things more often. I feel like while my family, other family is far away, we're connecting more often uh, in France, in Mauritius, in the UK via things like FaceTime and WhatsApp. Uh, And uh, I feel like uh, I, as a business owner, I'm connecting better to what people need from us and tuning into the needs of the time. Hopefully you guys would agree. I think that's why the Lotox Club uh, reboot has done so well because we're really just focused on what you guys need for this next year. Uh, by the way, if you want to join us in the club, we've changed it a little bit where it's just an annual fee of $49 you uh, Australian so US that's like 29 bucks uh UK that's like 23 pounds euro I think it's about 27 euro so I've made this a ridiculously affordable offer in light of the fact that so many people are financially challenged right now but in return for that support that you give us to continue doing the work we do 
Uh, the very first thing that happens when you join the Low Tox Club is you get a survey link to help us ensure that we're helping you meet your goals uh, in leading a low tox life, um, not only through this time of pandemic, but beyond. And uh, it's a beautiful club. The Facebook group is fabulous. And there's a whole bunch of perks that I'll let you have a look at the information page uh, if you're interested. Uh, but I've popped all the details on the show notes today. So you just head to lowtoxlife.com com forward slash podcast and click on Tom Cronin's show today and you'll have the link through to learn about the club and join us hopefully um it's a beautiful place to be and the feedback from the first month of the April content and we have a theme around thriving in a time of stress and anxiety all around us uh which I think is very apt uh it's a 20 page book stunning book resources galore we've even got things like a de-stress bingo in there we're doing a three-day boost coming up uh to focus on some good things that we want to get done and achieve for ourselves um, and, uh, and a whole bunch of resources to help parents, to help you, to help with immunity, um, tons and tons of fabulous stuff. So enjoy uh, joining us uh, in the Low Tox Club and, and combing through that book. A lot of people have found themselves going cover to cover with it, which is gorgeous. I'm so glad it's what you guys needed right now. Uh, we basically just want to wrap a big blanket around our community and help you guys uh, live a beautiful Low Tox life amidst a lot of the crazy that's out there. Uh, and it's a lot of stuff we can't control, but there's so much that we can. And as my son beautifully said the other day, so wise beyond his years, mom, it's crazy how much they've taken away from us, but how much we've still got. And I was just like, okay, well, that's the way to make my heart melt. Thank you, little guy. Um, it's so, so true, right? So I will see those of you who join us in the club, um, shortly. Uh, in the private Facebook group. But let me tell you a little bit about today's show. So Tom Cronin's been on the show before and uh, he is a meditation teacher, a retreat guide. He works a lot with corporates, but also with smaller personal groups. Uh, and he is one of the best examples of letting your mess be your message. He was a, a run into the ground stock market guru who, uh, whose life frankly started to fall apart, uh, both in mental health and physical health. And he, for whatever reason, found the gift of meditation at an extremely low point in his life that helped create a far more resilient and peaceful Tom Cronin. And he just wanted everybody to feel this wonderful thing that he felt and decided to start teaching meditation and decided to make it his world. Cut to a couple of, uh, well, gosh, over a decade later, and he has joined forces with uh, Jackie, Jackie Pfeiffer, uh, to create The Portal. So The Portal is a film, it's a book, and it is an online meditation platform, an education platform as well. And meditation to save the world is really the um, the theme of this. So the, the, the book is fantastic. I've read it. And, uh, what it, they do is they actually work with very diverse people, uh, with very different backstories 
and show how meditation transformed their lives and then talk about how uh, we can save the world through meditation. So it's a very big picture concept, but today's show, we also talk about so many fantastic practical steps as well. So I know you guys are going to really love this show. If you've ever been curious about meditation, if you're already a meditator, I encourage you to get involved, uh, listen, uh, let me know what you thought, what the big takeaways for you were. I always learn when I chat to Tom and today's show was absolutely no exception. So enjoy that. And uh, I will always uh, also remind you, sorry, always, <laughs> I've been talking a lot today. It's actually, I'll let you guys in on a little secret. My family is, uh, my boy and my husband have gone to pick up a whole bunch of wood that my husband keeps at my mother-in-law's farm uh, just because he doesn't have the space in his Sydney workshop and he's bringing it back. So they're on a big round trip to get that wood, um, which of course felt super exciting for them to get out of the house for four hours and be on the open road, but also super exciting for me. And I am literally recording every video and audio that I need to record for the next two weeks today. And this is the last one. So I'm kind of delirious now. <laughs> that can just be our little secret, you, me, and 50,000 of our friends from all around the world. <laughs> um, but uh, what was I going to say? Um, yes. So I have, of course, the April offer, a little freebie for you from Guy Lawrence, who was our Low Tox Mind guest about two weeks ago now. If you missed that show, that was another fantastic, uh, fantastic one from this Low Tox Mind mini series that we've been running. And you have on offer a Live in Flow resource kit. And in that you have a free webinar, three guided meditations and two eBooks. I'll let Guy do the explaining on his uh, welcome page. So all you have to do to access that is head to liveinflow.com.au forward slash Alex with two X's. Or of course, you can just head to today's show notes on the lowtoxlife.com website and hit the podcast tab and away you go. All the details will be there either way. So enjoy my chat today with Tom Cronin. I cannot wait to see what you guys think. Hello, Tom. How are you? I'm great. It's good to be here. Thanks for inviting me along. Uh, I am so excited to have you back on the show. Our first chat really resonated with people, uh, gosh, I think it was a couple of years ago now. And uh, it's uh, a lot has happened since for you, including the fact that you recently met Russell Brand. How was that? Yeah, we had a good old chat. He came around for dinner, a bit of a roast. No, that's not true. Uh, but I did see Russell Brand and I got to hug him. And, um, yeah, he's quite a fascinating character. And what I really liked about the, the night with him at the State Theatre, I mean, he's incredibly funny, incredibly fast and witty, um, incredibly spiritual and conscious, but he showed a lot of vulnerability and humility. And I think that is something that is a great quality. It allows us to connect with him and resonate with him and feel even empathy for him. And he was very clever and wise in that he continued to convey to the audience that, hey, I'm not preaching to you, I'm not lecturing to you, I'm, I'm just, you know, sharing with you, but I'm still learning, I'm still making mistakes, I'm still, and, you know, even halfway through the show, he said, I've got a splitting headache and one of his team had to come and give him two Panadols. And Aww. whether that was scripted or not, I mean, I think he generally did have a headache and he generally did look like he was quite tired but just he really allows the audience to see his humanness so mm. rather than just being up in a pulpit and preaching 
he's kind of down with us and saying, you know, I'm still hustling. I'm still trying to work this life thing out and, um, and I'm happy to share my journey with you. So it was really nice to see him do that. Yeah, it's exciting, isn't it, when you see someone who could quite easily step into the role of guru and hide a lot of the faults and have everybody feeling inadequate because they could never possibly be as enlightened as them. Um, he has decided a very different way, which is come along the ride and be imperfect with me. And I think we need a lot more leadership all around our world that is like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I remember, you know, one of my mentors said to me that if, if you don't show your cracks, then they'll find them for you. Mm. And we don't want to be crucified. And, uh, you know, he said, if, if they can't find a crack, then they'll put you on a cross and see if you find pain then. So, you know, it was a really great piece of mentoring, one that I've tried to use a lot in showing my own vulnerability and my own, hey, yeah, I'm a teacher. I'm a meditation coach and a you know life coach, but I'm still a student and, you know, my kids are my teachers and my students are my teachers and life is my teacher. So, um, you know, it's always about letting people know that this is an ongoing process for all of us. Mm. Can I ask a personal question? Yeah, sure. What was the last thing that brought you to your knees in your day-to-day life that you just thought, ah, <laughs> that like, gosh, was oh, it the teenagers? It? Is that an easy one? <laughs> um, no, it was actually this morning when I opened up, uh, we've got this, this is going to sound really inane, but um, I'll move on to a more serious one. But I opened up our freezer and we've got one of these uh, freezers that's at the top of the fridge. Oh, yeah, and yep. um, it's... Uh, it doesn't have drawers in it. It's just got shelves. So if, I don't know if when things are frozen, they're very slippery and you open the freezer door and things just slide out. I'm like, this mm-hmm. is the most ridiculous design. <laughs> I'm like, I'm supposed to be like nearly enlightened. And I'm like so pissed off that the <laughs> frozen peas have just fallen on my foot. <laughs> it's like, why would someone not put drawers in this thing? Anyway, so that was one thing. But um, look, I think, you know, making the film in the last year or two, um, it's been one of the most grueling processes that has pulled me out of my lane, my sweet spot, you know, my, my lane that I thrive in that opens my heart up, that makes me sing is teaching meditation, coaching, running retreats and being in this transformational journey with people in an intimate way. It's Mm. really great. This is what I feel is one of my skill sets, but making a film is about logistics, about being in your head. It's about production. It's about locations. It's about, um, dress design it's about finances it's about so many logistical things and so head in about these very specific schedules and very menial and it was just grueling it was tiring and it was challenging and it was just not a sweet spot people go oh you know what's your next film I'm like you know, <laughs> whoa back there thing. buddy <laughs> so yeah that it's many times it's, it's challenged me but you know at the same time it's probably been one of my greatest teachers and I said the other night at one of the Q&A's that the process itself has, um, technically speaking, beaten the shit out of my ego. So it's been um, a really humbling and um, evolving process for me to mm. learn to surrender and to not be so attached. And that's been really helpful, which is just a, a product of being, uh, I guess, less identified and connected with the ego. Mm. So it almost forced you to reconnect to the things that you teach at a very deep personal level. Yeah. I had to really really breathe the teaching. You know, this is the thing that many times along the way, I'm like, this is ridiculous. I'm so overwhelmed and I'm making a film about meditation. This (laughs) doesn't make sense. (laughs) 
Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? That um, I, you know, I, I can connect with that. I guess in the sense that when you you teach about environmental toxins, and yet I lived in a water damaged building for eight years, and I didn't realize it, and I felt so dumb, and I felt like if I can't figure this out, how the heck do I expect my <laughs> yeah, poor yeah. community to try and get all this? Yeah, yeah. I, I just felt yeah. We all yeah. seem to live and breathe it, don't we? You know, no matter what we're doing, I think we have to get tested on our practices anyway absolutely and then deepen our understanding and knowledge so that we can then take people forward in the next powerful um iteration so obviously the the strap line of your movie the portal save the world through meditation that's a big call um however i firmly believe it's possible and uh quite likely that we could what is the science uh you've been teaching meditation for a long time now available to you either through what you've seen or through the research and maybe a combination of both that made you think you know this is big enough for us to turn you know this into a huge offering of a film a book a masterclass, everything to really help people understand the power of this stuff yeah look i was <clears throat> just a few weeks ago at davos at the world economic forum in switzerland where we had a screening of the film and there's some really amazing powerful people coming to Davos to try and make a very positive impact on the planet, <clears throat> really doing some great things to bring about change. And my issue with that is, and where I came from with my angle while I was there in these discussions was that it's all well and good for us to try and change the planet. But if we're not changing the state of mind of the people that are causing the problem that we're trying to change, that we're going to, as we have done for thousands of years, continue to recreate the same problems, mm -hmm. war, conflict, racial divide, Good and evil. religious divide, yep. and, you know, um, win-lose paradigms and the outcome-oriented fulfilment of getting more and having more to experience perceived ideas of happiness, <clears throat> which, of course, we know is unsustainable. So unless we shift the state of mind and consciousness of people, then we're going to continue to recreate the same problems, which is what we're doing. And meditation isn't going to, let's just get straight to the chase. It's not the saviour for the world. It's a very powerful tool that helps shift consciousness. And even Thich Nhat Hanh and even Elon Musk, both of them, and you can find these quotes if you just Google them, um, both said that what we need on the planet is enlightenment. We can, and what happens when someone starts meditating, as it happened to me, as it happened to thousands of my students, as it happens through the science of the practice, is that we get out of a stress response state. We get out of this individualized egoic identification that has, when we're living through purely the ego, where A, we're separate from everyone and everything. We're living in a world of relativity, which is my wealth is determined only by someone else's level of wealth or my fitness or height or width is only determined by someone else's width or height. And so um, we're in this um, very much a world of comparison and it's very segregated. And what happens uh, also is we've got this egoic identity, which is defined and built with a great sense of lack. So basically what the ego has is it's, it has a, a characteristic about it that it can never, ever be fulfilled. The ego has basically in its design a series of holes. And what it's trying to do is plug those holes in. 
if I can get a good university degree, um, then I'll be happy. So we fill that hole in and then we go, oh, now I've got to get a good job and then I'll be happy. We fill that hole in and we go, now I've got to buy a house and then I'll be happy. Now I've got to pay off the mortgage and I'll be happy. Now I've got to find a wife to put in the house, then I'll be happy. Now I've got to find some children to put in the house, then I'll be happy. Now I've got to get rid of the wife and then I'll be happy. Now I've got to, you know, and we mm. just go through this sequence of life trying to fill holes so that we can eventually arrive at some destination which we'll never arrive at. The societal checklist, I call the it. The societal yeah. checklist. And it's not until we start transcending that. Now, it doesn't mean as soon as we start meditating, we're going to be perfect and enlightened. But and it do also it. doesn't mean that those things can't be fulfilling to us on many right. beautiful and levels. We'll still yeah. move through those um, proceeds. But what does happen is that we see a dynamic shift slowly start to occur in meditators or people that are going through some level of awakening and connection to um, what we call self with a capital S. Now, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we generally put that self-realization or awakening at the last little pinnacle and most of us don't even get there. So my impetus with the film and the project and what I do is to move Maslow's peak at the hierarchy of the needs much further down the scale. So rather than slowly moving through all those layers of trying to um, move through levels of fulfillment in life, if we can bring that much further down and start to put that at one of the early stages of our uh, sort of journey through life and come from a place of fulfillment, come from a place of being awake, come from a place that doesn't have immense lack and need and has wisdom innately awakened within us and accessible within us, then we make very different decisions in life. And what we tend to find with most people that start meditating and start feeling some greater levels of internal fulfillment rather than external fulfillment, so that's intrinsic value rather than extrinsic value, is they start feeling this natural compulsion to want to share and give back to the world. And the greatest gift we can give the planet, and it's going to sound incredibly selfish, but if you think about it on a deeper level, the greatest gift we can give the planet is our own health and happiness. If everyone on the planet was healthy and happy, we'd have a very different world. And that's a really important starting point. And meditation scientifically is a great tool, not the only tool, but it is a great tool to help us get that. And so that's what motivates me is that um, if we can start to experience our own internal levels of fulfillment and health and happiness and internal wisdom, then we start making very different decisions in life. Mm, so true because... I mean, I, I equate my uh, lack of desire to fill my house with stuff anymore. It's been years now. I equate that with about the time I started meditating because you just see things and, yes, it might be pretty, but why does it need to be in my house? <laughs> and, you know, so the, the ramifications of buying less because you're coming from a place of fulfilment, the ramifications of eating less because you're not searching for extra foods that are going to finally satiate you uh, and feel emotional lacks and all, I mean, so many different aspects. So many aspects. You know, you, mm. you, you, have, you don't see other religions or races as separate to you. You start to experience a unification. You don't see nature as separate from you. It's something that you can extract something from. Mm. You see it as part of an inter, interwoven relationship that sustains and nourishes and supports you. And you get the immense sense of gratitude for that because of this relationship that you're playing out in, in that. So it just plays out in so many different levels. Mm -hmm. But one thing that is overlaying all of that is harmony. Mm. There's just greater harmony. There's less conflict, less friction, less turmoil. And that's just, if you look at anywhere where we have 
conflict, turmoil, disharmony, discord, then you can see that there's these same principles playing out that can be resolved to some degree. And it doesn't mean we're going to have a perfect world by any means. Um, but it's certainly, we have a different model that we have available to us as a race and as a planet. And we've been very resistant and stubborn to embracing that. We sure have. <laughs> um, we started out the blocks early, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, we really did. I'm like, oh, where do we go with that? No, I know exactly where I want to go because I do want to actually talk uh, about the film and the book uh, because both of them are incredible. Um, and obviously that is uh, uh, quite a lot to try and portray in a book and a film in a way that I know your objective is to really get this out to people who would never have you know, gone to a local yoga studio where there was then a meditation night. You want to reach people in every corner of the world with this. And so there's a challenge in how you decide to put together the information and how you present it. So I'm curious to know why for you, um, especially as you shared so generously that the film was almost your personal undoing, um, why you were still driven to make that a part of this vision and how it came about that you worked with filmmaker Jackie Pfeiffer on that. Yeah, I'll start with the uh, inspiration for the film. So mm. it was actually, um, this was just remembering seven years ago in 2012, it's actually eight years ago now, we, we started this project, this idea. It was kind of like the, the birthing of the idea and the, the germination of it. Um, and that was pre-Netflix, pre-Hulu, pre-Amazon Prime, pre-Apple TV. So we really had movies in cinemas and then we had DVDs. Um, and so this was on the back of The Secret it had just come out. And The Secret really was one of the very first films, if you think about it, that used film as a medium to bring about esoteric subject matter and put it into the households of the world. And it was probably the most effective still to this day of reaching the masses, the law of attraction of all things, that what you think and feel you can attract into your life. is like, holy smokes, that's crazy. And yet to be on Oprah and to be, you know, really across the world in such a big way. So that really inspired me. It's like, well, we could do that with meditation because no one has done that around meditation at this point. Now, remembering that was before Headspace and Calm apps as well. So meditation really was still quite an untapped sort of resource on the planet. It was. Time. I remember meeting you at um, Lee Holmes's first book launch where I think we both spoke at that and, um, and that was, what, nearly a decade ago now. And I remember thinking, oh, wow, cool, Tom teaches meditation because uh, I had only just kind of sort of started to become aware of, of doing it myself and, and playing around with some of the resources that existed, not many of which they were there were at the time unless you went to a Buddhist retreat or um, something like it. And I remember thinking it was a novelty to meet someone who taught meditation. And that was like less than a decade ago, just. Yeah, it's Crazy. amazing how much has changed in that time. Mm. I'm just going to pause there because my light that's on me, it's one of those camera lights, uh, is actually running out of battery and it's flashing. So No, you, no, go for it. I'll pause it. And so the secret had this capacity to, to really bring this esoteric subject matter into the world and I decided that we'd do that with the film around meditation and one thing that was really the very starting premise for the idea was that we didn't want to show 
men in lab coats talking about the science of meditation and pointing fingers at people saying you should meditate because really we didn't want to come from that place. We wanted to make something that was moving, experiential, unique, inspiring. And so that was like the early sort of foundation of like, okay, that's kind of like what we wanted to create. We want it to be a visual and audio feast and that really could move people out of their heads and into their hearts. Cause you can go to Google and you can find all the information you want about meditation. That's not what we wanted to create. So interestingly, along the way, we had an initial director and writer that was on the project that really just wasn't quite getting the vision and the idea of, and I think it was just, we all have our own limitations and for them, their limitation was trying to have an alignment with what our vision for the project was. So we had to deviate at one particular point and that was one of the big challenges in the project. And at this point in time, halfway through the project we'd already filmed a lot of footage that was just not working um and it was a completely different film idea that the director and the writer wanted to 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 go down this pathway and we're all quite unhappy with that and at one point we had to remove that director remove the who was the writer so at one point i had no director no writer we'd blown a lot of our budget uh spent a lot of our budget and I was that was a really dark night for me to be in that position, not knowing how to get my way out of that. But interestingly, Jackie Pfeiffer was on our project at that point as a line producer, and she'd worked on quite a few substantial films in Australia before um, in that sort of production space. And so she and I had been sort of brainstorming about, you know, where do we go from here? And I said, look, you know, you've done your your film school and part of the component of film school was directing. Can you do this? Now, the wonderful thing with Jackie, and it was all divinely organized because what the film really needed and what it didn't have was this feminine component to it as far as the crafting of the art of it. It was very mm. masculine based. It was me, two male producers and a male writer director. And oh, that yes. was the big no, that's problem. a sausage fest. Yeah. It's a sausage fest. <laughs> Got to break that it, up. It was almost like the universe wasn't wanting that to happen. Mm. And so two of the males on the project actually left and that left Jackie and myself to collaborate and co-create from ground zero. And Jack brought this wonderful feminine energy to it and this creative sort of visual audio feast to it. Now, Jackie's previous uh, incarnation uh, before she was in film industry was as a DJ. Oh, okay. she, was one of the she knows top... how to take people on a journey. It's a very much, yeah. She's, mm. If you think about what a DJ does, and so Jackie had this capacity to really bring in this um, ability to move the audience and keep moving them along this journey in quite a unique way. It's, for some people, it's a little bit hard to follow because it does move quite quickly in amongst those stories that we've interwoven. But um, she does it in a way that uh, keeps people fascinated and emotionally moved and engaged. Mm. And I've always admired that about great DJs. <laughs> yeah. Back in, in my brief clubbing days yeah. in my late 20s, I remember just being so amazed by the, the peaks and troughs of the sets and how they chose to bring things in, excite people, tease people, dump things on people, strip it all back. And it makes so much sense that that would work so well for a film dynamic because, of course, all art does that in some way when it's truly successful and connecting. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, that was uh, one of the great assets that she brought to the project. So it was, um, it was, I think, divinely organised. It sounds like it was, and mm -hmm. and so you talk about the stories that are interwoven. And what what kind of criteria? You know, how did you choose those six stories that feature in the film? Um, 
yeah, at, the, at that time I was really exploring um, this idea of a, it's a Sanskrit phrase called Rashi. And a Rashi in Vedic philosophy is a cataclysmic event that is a force of evolution to bring about change when the, there has been a resistance to change. So Rashi's happen in relationships, in companies, in, uh, in species, in our own personal journey. Now, a Rashi is um, basically superseding Shiva. Usually we have a destructive operator in our life and a creative operator and a maintenance operator, which are these three forces of evolution that are constantly playing out like I said, individually, collectively. And um, Shiva's role is to kind of like keep giving us impetuses and remove blocks and help us to um, continue to evolve and stay in this sort of creative mode of being um, progressive, which is one of the underlying principles of evolution. When we resist that, you know, Shiva comes along and makes a little bit of discomfort, this uh, destructive operator. But if we ignore that and ignore that and ignore that and ignore that, then eventually this intelligence divine sort of wisdom whatever you want to call it some might even call it god or the force of evolution if you want to be science uh scientific it it kind of says no that's you you think you can prevail or um be more powerful than evolution itself and resist 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 and keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting things to get better that can't happen and so then arashi is this cataclysmic force that comes in and at a Rashi point, there's only one of two options ever. There's only ever one of two options, um, a breakdown or a breakthrough. So things either evolve to a higher level or they completely collapse. So a relationship will go through divorce or they'll go up to a next level and they'll break through. A company will go into bankruptcy or they will evolve to the next level and come up with a new brilliant idea. And we see this with, uh, with, actual, with actually uh, civilizations where they either collapse or they evolve to the next level. Gosh, I hope we evolve to the next level. I feel like we are very much at this a sort of tension Well, this point. was what I was exploring, this idea mm. of collective Rashi and that we're on the cusp of, and that's what Daniel Schmachtenberger talks about, is that what we're seeing is exponential levels of improvement and also exponential levels of decay happening at the same time, which means that what we're seeing is the lead up and the, the prelude to a major phase shift where only one of those can prevail ultimately. What we're seeing is a destabilised system and all systems that destabilize means that one or two things will happen there, breakdown or breakthrough. And, you know, I've had breakdowns. I've had, uh, sorry, I've had rashes in my life and we can have multiple rashes through our lives. And anyone that's listening can probably look back. The fact that they're here still today means that they've actually had a rashi and they've broken through. Mm. And they can probably say that their life is better as a result of that rashi. Mm, except, yeah, and then at, at the point of the Rashi, sometimes it's so rashi. intense. That so that's the point think, of the Gosh. Rashi is that because, yeah. you, because of your resistance and because you're not getting it, the universe kind of shakes the cage a little bit and says, you're just not getting it. You need to, you need to evolve and grow here. So um, we were looking at global Rashi scenarios and what I could see that there was a number of different possible Rashi scenarios. We've got AI going wrong, nuclear Rashi, we've got environmental Rashi, which we can see is a, we're on the cusp of. We're not quite there in any of these rashes, but they're all potentials. Um, we've got food shortage rashi, and then we've got um, some sickness rashi, which we're also seeing one unfold at the moment as well. So there's quite a few. There's, I've been told there's three or four others that can also be added to that, um, which are the ability for mankind, humankind, to get such a shuddering and a wake-up call that will either see self-termination or a huge leap forward in the way we actually do our, our, our the way we live on the planet. 
And we always see in Vedic philosophy this idea of uh, Satyuga, an era of enlightenment that will follow on uh, from what we're currently in, which is Kali Yuga, the era of ignorance and era of, of, of darkness. So um, we see that the, this enlightened period is really high potential for humanity. And we see that the embracing of the wisdom and the truth that is prevailing on the planet and has done for thousands of years to actually be enacted and implemented as a system. Um, and so we were looking at that. And then when we looked at the stories, we wanted the stories to kind of overlay some of that in their own personal journey. So we've got someone that was in war, someone that was a refugee, misplaced. We've got someone that... Um, was also misplaced, but working with misplaced people in Afghanistan and in Syria. Um, we've got uh, an entrepreneur that lost $70 million in, in the, the tech crash. So a lot of the themes are in their stories that are in the global themes. And that was kind of one of the things we were looking for. We're also looking for diversity in their cultural backgrounds, diversity in their gender, diversity in um, you know, their storylines. We didn't want everyone having the same storyline. Um, we interviewed 300 different stories and some of them wow. were just amazing. But then we yeah. also needed them to be eloquent and to be able to convey their story and to be able to open up and be emotional. Mm. So, yeah, that was kind of like the, the, the filtering process, I guess, we went through. Yeah. And can you share one of the stories? Obviously, we don't want to talk about absolutely everything that mm -hmm. happens, but sure. what's the first one that comes to mind right now and why did you feel that that was one that needed to be shared with the world? Yeah, gosh. I mean, Buddha's plays, he's an African-American, um, was in the, the army uh, and he's got an amazing story. Grew up in the ghetto and, you know, basically was had to by default live the ghetto life, you know. He said, you know, and most of your life you're looking at one of two options and that's dead or prison. He said that's, you know, really you're just looking at those two options. And so, you know, to see him where he is now after going through, getting out of the ghetto and obviously then going into the military and then finding meditation as a tool to help with PTSD. And to now, you know, he's a uh, wonderful actor and mentor and speaker, and he's just doing amazing things. Zwei, uh, who's a Vietnamese refugee, I'll just tell two, one of Buddha and one of Zwei. So Zwei is a beautiful story as well, who was a, a refugee from Vietnam and grew up in a very, very rough environment in Philadelphia. Our parents, you know, the cliche owned a, a, a restaurant and. Sounds uh, like our friend Pauline. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. A very similar storyline, actually. Yeah. Very similar storyline. Very difficult childhood. Then won a scholarship to Harvard, thinking that was the ticket out of the ghetto, but that actually became one of the most challenging environments she'd ever been in because of the incongruency and the, 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 the separation from the two worlds and that caused her to have quite sort of suicidal tendencies, anxiety and depression and um, a great disconnect from that world and feeling isolated. Um, and then she found meditation uh, that really helped her in her journey in life. And now she's a meditation teacher and corporate speaker. So she's had a phenomenal shift through her journey and the use of meditation to, um, to bring her life into alignment. Incredible and so inspiring when people uh, are so impacted in such a positive way that they don't stop there. They then make sure they can share it with as many people as possible. And that's when you know it has had a profound effect on someone when they do that. Yeah, it's, it's generally we see this as a sequence. Which I do a lot of coaching with people now is that we see them go from seeker to finder to sharer. And they're first seeking, they're in the dark room. And the first thing we do when we walk in a dark room is look for the light switch. 
So we're clamming around in the dark, looking for something that's going to bring light. And that's when they tend to find whatever their modality, their choice of, you know, tool is, or whether it's Qigong or plant-based medicine or yoga or meditation. And we don't want to discriminate one better than the others. I just wanted to share one that I was trained in and that I knew a lot about. So I could speak for it, but there's multitudes of different ways we can find a light in our lives. And um, once they find the light, there's a natural compulsion. So they've gone from seeker to finder. Now I've found truth. I've found wisdom. I've found light. I've found joy. I found creativity. Um, gosh, I just, there's a lot of people out there that need to find the light as well. Maybe I can help them. And so mm. there's a natural progression once they go from seeker to finder to spontaneously go into sharer and wanting to share that, which is obviously what was my tr- progression and Pauline's and Zway's and we see it this time and time again. yourself mm, Absolutely. And what do you think helps the sharer share in a way that invites curiosity? Because I think sometimes when you go from seeker to finder to sharer, if you don't get that piece energetically right and you don't have acute observation of the people around you that you seek to help, hmm. it can so quickly look like preacher condescending you know those things like repulsion like oh gosh you and your hippie bullshit all that kind of stuff so how um do you see because i just think that's such an interesting thing and it's something we talk about a lot in the low tox community you know when you find out that half of your products have had ridiculous amounts of environmental toxins in them or and then you start telling everybody in your family they've got to change everything. That's not always met with, oh, great, thank you so much for letting me know. Let's do that. And I know it's the case with meditation as well. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on how we then do that in our lives in an inviting way. Um, yeah, I can speak from absolute experience on this one, being mm. one of those annoying preachers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's something we've all, yeah. I've waded through what the best way is to yeah. do it effectively so yeah it it's definitely is an art form that needs to be learned and trained mm. and um without that what happens is we become like a particular religious group that knocks on people's doors on sunday morning totally. trying to give them um you know uh to, you know a magazine and tell them how they should live their life so we don't want to be doing that and um one thing that is really important that we can embrace is um what we can do here is embrace what we call Laisha Vidya and Laisha Vidya is a Sanskrit, um, a Sanskrit word that means uh, a faint level of ignorance. And what we want to do is we want to not come from, and this is what Russell Brand, it's interesting that we're Mm. talking about this now. Russell Brand does this very well. It's surrendering some position of elitism and hierarchy and superiority and being able to share what we uh, there's two components to it. One is embracing your own vulnerability and fragility and acknowledging that you are also walking this journey and learning and that you don't have all the answers. So that's Lesha Vidya. Vidya in Sanskrit means knowledge. And we negate a word in Sanskrit by putting an A in front of it. So Avidya is ignorance and Lesha means faint. Lesha is on a manipate. So a faint level of ignorance, we surrender some of our positioning the second step in the process is to what we call inspire or wait for worthy inquiry. And what that means is it's, uh, so one example of where worthy inquiry was inspired was in the scene in when Harry met Sally and she's doing the fake orgasm. 
Now, what she was showing and representing was something that's inspiring by just living and breathing it. She didn't go over to the two old ladies who said, I want what she's having. That looks really good. Whatever she's doing, I want to experience that because that looks freaking awesome. I don't think they said freaking, but something along those lines. And so we just need to live and breathe it. And hopefully that can inspire some level of worthy inquiry that says, hey, you're doing something different. And whatever you're doing, like, I want a piece of that because that looks really, really good. So waiting for worthy inquiry or inspiring worthy inquiry and a podcast can be worthy inquiry, inspire worthy inquiry. Someone could hear this and go, hey, look, um, I heard you on this podcast. Um, I'd love to you know, hear more about your weekend workshop or your coaching program or watch your film. So, um, yeah, but once we start finger pointing and interjecting into people's lives and the way I did for the first few years of my meditation journey, because I was so inspired by it, I was like telling everyone they should meditate. And what that does is it leads to a um, patronizing people, suggesting that where they're at in their life isn't as good as where my journey is. Um, which is very demoralizing for people. Um, and secondly, it puts us in a position of elitism. And, and um, this is one of the things I talked about the other night at the Q&A was that the film beat the crap out of my spiritual elitism that I, I was carrying into the journey of the making of the film initially. And so that was a really big learning curve for me to, um, to, to come from a place of spiritual humility. Mm, such a, a massive exciting shift too yeah yeah it's very liberating yeah you, i don't have to be so good all the time <laughs> absolutely i can absolutely uh <laughs> equate that to my current book writing journey where i was coming at it from a place for months of trying to be the most knowledgeable on something and it's just not who i am i'm always that storyteller of all the people who are incredibly knowledgeable and the distiller of what all the ordinary people like us can do about all this incredible stuff. Yeah. yeah. And it's amazing when you come from a place of humility, how things flow so much better. Mm. So and that's why I better. wasn't in the film. You know, I, the people kept saying, why weren't you in the film? I said, you know, I wanted the stories to speak for themselves. You know, I really mm. wanted the, the stories to be the message and, um, and, and let that, um, you know, be the inspiration and hopefully that, opens up worthy inquiry mm, and the stories are the vulnerable guru in this yeah, picture yeah, really. yeah yeah that's right yeah yeah so good um talk to me about why you involved technology and robots so heavily yeah you know it's a really big um discussion it certainly wasn't in the initial idea of the film which was seven eight years ago because it just wasn't an issue um we did want because ai was one of the themes of the global crisis that we were facing um, the potential for AI to go wrong. And that still is a really, really big component that's kind of sleeping in the background. It hasn't really come to the forefront just yet, but it will at some point soon when we, um, we see AI converge into uh, a state of consciousness or awareness. It's not there yet and not anywhere near it, but at some point it will start to happen where it has this capacity to self-learn and be, become aware. And they call that the singularity, which will be quite an interesting time. So um, we did want to somehow convey that into the film and it, it kind of fits in in two ways. One is that, hey, it has the potential to be a major problem. But secondly, what, what it overlays is, is this concept that what we set up in the film is that humans are programmed. The way we think is conditioned and programmed. When we even arrive out of the womb, 
on day one of our life, we have a physical structure that we've inherited through the combination of our father and mother's genes and their fathers and their mother's genes and their fathers and their mother's genes is this sort of compounding effect of um, combining these sort of structural cells into a particular shape where your nose or your eyebrows or your ears or your mouth or your, you know, hair style or hair color might be some component of your father's or mother's lineage. But it didn't just stop at the hardware. We also inherited a software that was the driving mechanism for the hardware. And so it had particular programming that was inherent just as when you pick up the phone from the shop, it comes with a software that drives the hardware. And um, then what happens when we get into our life that more programming happens in that software as we our life experiences. So we're seeing that humans are deeply programmed. And by the time we're 20, 30, 40, we're running with a software Mm-hmm. The 95% of it isn't even our own software. It's just Absolutely. this program software. Yeah. So we set up this premise that if humans are programming software into humans and humans are programming software into AI and we've got a group of people that are programming software and AI to be unconditionally loving and we have proven that AI can be unconditionally loving, then that would naturally lead us to the idea that humans can program humans to be unconditionally loving. We teach hate. So, so we why don't can we just teach love. That as, that's right. Yeah. Why don't we look yeah. at that as an option? Yeah. Um, and so that was one of the, the sort of themes that we wanted to sort of marry in there between the programming of AI and the Loving AI project and the programming of humans and what we see as a possibility mm. in the future model of life on Earth in what we call Satyuga or this phase shift up into what's considered an enlightened period of time for humanity. Mm. And for me, the exciting thing there is these things often sound super niche and quite hippie when you first hear them because our world is dominated by the warlike uh, sort of um, dynamic, if you like. There's got to be a good, there's got to be an evil and we just keep all playing into these roles and we keep trying to find the evil thing, you know, in, in food and climate change at the moment. It's like one day we feel like we're evil for eating an almond. The next day we feel evil for eating uh, a steak at the pub. The next day we feel evil. And, you know, there's just always an evil because we feel more comfortable when we can all go at something. Um, fossil fuels, perfect example, which, of course, are very polluting and not so great. But... Um, I feel like then when we hear a a political candidate, as Marion Williamson did this year in the Democratic debates, talk about a Department of Peace as something that should exist in government, that sounded so crazy and radical as a first-time thing. But when you start to stew on it and you start to think about the potential of it, a whole department literally existing to create more love and peace in the world I mean, how could that be radical? Is that not what we want? <laughs> Does, I mean, there's a human desire is to have safety, shelter, loving family. Like when we strip it all back, that's really what we all desire uh, and, and uh, feel deeply uh, satisfied by when we achieve that. They're very basic, loving, beautiful things, right? So it's no longer radical when we have these sorts of conversations programming love into children imagine if love was part of the school curriculum yeah look i mean we'll get a little bit controversial here um no do it I don't so mind. 
what we have currently um, in the setup of the planet are systems. Mm-hmm. And the the systems we can we can change ideology quite quickly by you and me having this conversation, and a listener might hear it, and the listener might go, "Yeah, that makes sense." And now their their philosophy and understanding of life has slightly changed. What's very difficult to change are deeply embodied and in, and and established systems. Um, so you think of an, uh, a, a medical system, uh, education system, a banking system, a political system, a sporting system. These are very deeply structured and developed systems that are, you know, decades and, and centuries old, if not millenniums old. And they're established by people that profit and thrive from the structure and the existence of that system. Um, now, the, 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 the systems uh, are basically owned by a very few small handful of people and they do very, very well out of those systems being in place in the style that they're currently in place. Um, a lot of those things that you're talking about there, they don't thrive very well under those types of systems. Harmony, uh, you know, uh, no war, um, people being healthy. The system's designed for people being unhappy and unhealthy. The system thrives on people being unhappy and unhealthy. Is that why we need the Rashi? Of course it is, because mm-hmm. the evolution has to prevail. And any resistance and, and, um, and uh, yeah, well, I guess just stay with resistance to that progress towards a more harmonious, natural outcome will see discord. And so what you're going to start to see is the systems come under challenge. The royal system is, what are we seeing with the royal system? We're seeing it coming under challenge where, you know, Prince Andrew and then you've got Megan and Harry wanting to dismantle either through force or through, or through harmony, dismantle the systems. We're seeing things like cryptocurrencies trying to dismantle the banking system. Now the banking system is going to come under immense challenge soon because it's completely flawed. Um, but of course it doesn't want to get dismantled because it thrives on it being in existence. Yeah. So they're not going to say, Hey guys, we're going to come up with a system that works for everyone and not us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's not going to happen. <laughs> pharmaceutical soon. system's not going to go, Hey guys, look, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to do all these different things to help everyone get really, really healthy. So we become redundant. Mm, not going to happen soon. The, the energy system's not going to go, Hey, look guys, um, we think everyone should have free energy. We know it exists and we're going to find ways to bring about free energy so that no one will use our oil. This is not going to happen. So the systems are resistant and the systems do not want to see change. Yeah. And, and do you think your, what, so your hope for this film is that you take change a step closer to where it needs to be? Is that part of it for you? Well, it, this, the change can't actually come from the hierarchy. Mm. Why would the hierarchy do that? Mm. It doesn't work. It has to come from the masses. It has to come from a groundswell. And this is what we talk about in the film, the analogy between the, uh, with the, the ba- caterpillar and a butterfly. So just to give it a little bit of context for the audience is that with a, butter, with a caterpillar, so the caterpillar is a net user. It's consuming, it's consuming, it's consuming, and it's actually eating the forest faster than the forest can replenish itself. It just keeps eating and eating and eating. Now, what happens with a caterpillar? Not all caterpillars converge into a butterfly. Some do, some don't. But what happens is with the caterpillars, it's, it's accumulating amino acids so that it can start to build up enough momentum for these imaginal cells. It doesn't just go caterpillar butterfly. It's a process that unravels and unfolds. Now, they get these imaginal cells, a new possibility for that caterpillar. 
within the caterpillar. There's this early adopters and early phase adopters of this possibility of it becoming a butterfly. Now, what happens is the current immune system within the caterpillar sees that as a threat to the status quo and starts attacking these imaginal cells and saying, no, no, no. And that's generally what's happened to prophets and sages throughout histories of time, where they've represented a new status quo that challenges the system. So in the caterpillar, the system's saying, no, we don't want you to become a butterfly. We like being a caterpillar. We like being a net consumer. And we like owning this system. But when there's enough momentum of the imaginal cells, it gets to the point, a tipping point, where it has this capacity to overwhelm the suppressional capacity of the immune system. And now it starts to go through its chrysalis moment. And that's the convergence of it from a caterpillar into a butterfly. And if you look at a caterpillar, it's very yang and very masculine. It's a slug that looks kind of phallic. And then if you look at a butterfly, it's very feminine and soft and dainty and pretty. But also what it does, it has this immense capacity to propagate plants all over the world and contribute in a really positive way. And we're at this interesting time of very close to seeing enough of the tipping point of the imaginal cells of a new status quo, a new paradigm on planet Earth to start to happen. Um, there's still a lot of resistance happening from the systems, but we're very close to the masses building up enough momentum through podcasts, through social media, through, you know, teaching programs and, you know, educational systems and group meditations and meditations in apps. And so we're getting close. It's a really exciting time. It's a very close game. It's like 22 all with three minutes to go. And everyone's like <laughs> hanging on to the edge of the chairs goes, I'm not leaving the stadium. This is so <laughs> exciting. Will we make it? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And I think helpful is when we feel like we are not getting as far as we want to go as quickly as we want to retrospect is helpful and comforting. And, you know, just that story I shared in meeting you less than 10 years ago, nine years ago now, um, and meditation being quite a new thing for people to come together in the city of Sydney and do together and talk about and teach uh, and learn and feel the benefit of in a daily practice. Um, that's just nine years ago. Yeah, you know, you think of where we've come in nine, ten yeah. years to where we'll be in another nine and ten years with the exponential mm. levels of progress and evolution and, and, you know, awareness. It's really, really exciting. And, you know, we shouldn't be losing hope. We should be really excited that the turbulence is actually part of the chrysalis moment. The Rashi is just such an exciting phase to go through. We really got to, as difficult as all of us might be feeling things at the moment, we, we want to really combine forces, collaborate, unite, find support and know that we're on a journey to a much more awakened period of time, which is going to take some resistance and some, you know, Star Wars type dark versus light forces battle play out. And um, we know that the light will prevail. Well, thank you, Tom, for helping to create this beautiful body of work that is going to shift us forward uh, definitely a few steps further. How can we connect to the film? You mentioned that it was about to be available digitally and by my calculations, our chat today is going to go live mid-April. <laughs> so will we be able to have that now? It will be very close, I'd imagine. Uh, maybe we're, we're in a phase now. We've just switched out of cinema-hosted screens. We're still in cinema-hosted screens where people can host the film in a cinema and then we're going into what's called um, sort of package license deals where people can actually screen the film in their yoga centre in their library, in their church group. So it's still in that communal thing where it's gone out of a cinema where it's ticketed and into 
it might be a DVD on a big screen, but it's still in a communal type experience. And that's basically where we're just in that phase, April time will probably be still in that phase for just a little bit longer as we allow the world to basically experience the film in that community experience. And we want to try and extend that community mm, experience as long as possible powerful. because it's powerful. Yeah. And this is about community and community is something we have seen through the test of time to be an important component in, in, in organizations thriving. So um, that's why yoga and church groups thrive in community. So mm. I, then we'll get into the, um, the digital release where people can just download it on screen and watch it at home with their choc chip ice cream and their puppy dog. Yeah. (laughs) I I think a lot of people will love that too. Thanks, Tom. It's always such a pleasure to chat to you. And, uh, and I love that we um, discuss some of the deeper aspects of um, meaning behind the film rather than just the film itself, because I think it helps people who are still very curious about meditation, understand um, the powerful shifts that can happen when we all jump on board. I might just finish then in asking you to invite all of us this week to meditate in some way and what that might look like for the greatest beginners among us uh, and for those of us who want to take a step further. Yeah, that's a great invitation, isn't it? such a beautiful one. Um, You know, it's so hard for us to put time aside, not diving into our phones or Netflix or some other form of distraction and to explore within. So I'd highly recommend whether it's five, 10 or 20 minutes every day, just really, even if you need to schedule it in your calendar, just to pause on everything and do an internal experience rather than an external experience. And you can just simply start with by sitting with your eyes closed and being aware of the breath moving through the nostrils and just simply focus your attention on that. Now, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be comfortable. That's okay. Um, But it's a really good starting point just to allow and embrace the experience of boredom and monotony rather than uh, an insatiable desire to find pleasure through a scroll of an Instagram feed and relish the boredom and monotony and the the, just sitting there with the, the awareness of the breath. And if you want to get a more structured practice, then you can go to our website or Go and find a teacher that will give you a more structured practice and um, give you the capacity to self-sufficiently learn how to meditate properly. I love it. Thanks, Tom. Mm -hmm. Thanks again for joining me today and good luck with the portal. Thanks so much. Great to be here. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you. Now, where can you find me and Lotox Life from here on in? Well, you've obviously got lotoxlife.com and there we have everything beautifully organized into food, home, body and mind topics as well as kids and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you, inspire you to take community action Uh, and uh, there's amazing A to Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit uh, stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written over the past nine years of writing a blog. You can also find me on Instagram at Lotox Life and also on Facebook by a page the same name. I make everything super easy, Lotox Life, so you can find it really, really simply. Thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five-star review over on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show. And also to let you know that you can join us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com 
forward slash lowtoxlife and come join the private Lotox Life Club. In there, over time, more and more cool stuff is about to be added and I can't wait to see where that community takes us. It's a place where we can continue the conversations, chat about the weekly show, you're going to get bonus uh, Q&A and all sorts of things over time. I explain everything over on Patreon, so I encourage you to check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you next week. Today